Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, thank you for the promise that you are with us always to the end of the age. Lord, the greatest thing that we have is your presence. The greatest thing that can be said of us as a church is that Jesus is present among us, Lord. And so thank you for meeting with us in this place. Thank you for teaching us from your word. We thank you in advance for the work of your Holy Spirit in our gathering today. We ask that you would lead us. We ask that you would teach us and transform us by your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Well, self-awareness is a crucial aspect of growing as a person and as a Christian. Without self-awareness, how else are we to know who who we are becoming if we do not know who we are? And so this same truth applies to churches. If we don't know who we are as a church, how will we grow? How will we become who God is making us to be? Now, I'm absolutely confident that the Holy Spirit is going to do his work in us as individuals and as a church, regardless of our awareness. But awareness is important so that we do not end up finding ourselves operating in opposition to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and in those around us. And so Scripture has much to say about who the church is. Scripture has much to say about how we ought to live. And next week, as we begin that sermon series through the book of 1 John, we're going to be exploring these things together. But for today, I want us to start at the very beginning, the place where the very first Christians first received their marching orders. Because Matthew 28, these verses record for us the basics. And if we lose sight of these things, we risk becoming a church in name only, looking less like Jesus and more like the world. But first, we need a little bit of context before we jump in. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrated on Easter Sunday, even though it is not Easter Sunday, he is still risen. He is risen indeed. That was your part. You've got <laughs> memories, right? Uh, he is risen. There you go. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and he commissions them into this work of spreading the gospel. Now this text, one of the the, the coolest things, the things I love about this text is that it's actually reminiscent of God's first commissioning of the first humans in the Garden of Eden. They were to not drop microphones. Let's just send that over there. They were to uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
They were made in God's image, and so through procreation, they would fill the earth with God's image. And here, Jesus commissions his disciples to go throughout all the earth and multiply disciples by baptizing and teaching. And so through evangelism, Christ's presence is with them and filling the whole earth. Now, there's a lot that we can focus on in our text, but I want to begin by calling our attention to these 11 disciples. I take great comfort in this number, 11. I take great comfort in the number 11 because 11 is not 12. Now, there's your arithmetic lesson for the day, but I'm serious. 11 is not 12, and this is important because 12 is a special number throughout the Bible. 12 represents uh, the completion, the, the, the completeness of God's people. 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel who are invited into a covenant relationship with God. This is why Jesus chose 12 disciples who were to represent a reconstituted people of God. And through these 12 disciples, all people from all nations were to be invited into a covenant relationship with God through the good news of Jesus. But here we have 11. It's not 12. Standing on the mountain in front of Jesus. And my intention is not to draw attention to their number as if they were just one shy of a full roster, right? They're not just playing man down here. This isn't about uh, uh, church numbers or church growth. Eleven is symbolic for imperfection, incompletion, and limitation. And so before the church was set out on her great mission, there were only 11. This is an imperfect, incomplete crew with some serious insufficiency. And the reason that we can take comfort in this is because that's who we are. That's who we are. The church that we are is a group of imperfect, incomplete disciples. Do you remember the movie Ocean's Eleven? The George Clooney version, sorry. Uh, I love Sinatra, but he's a little before my time. In Ocean's Eleven, uh, Danny Ocean, played by George Clooney, is out to pull off the greatest casino heist of all time. You gotta love a good heist movie. I love heist movies, and Ocean's Eleven is, is one of the best. And so he is going to pull off the greatest casino heist of all time. And so in order to accomplish his elaborate scheme, he enlists 10 of the most specialized criminals in the game. He's got pickpockets and safe crackers, and he even recruits an acrobat so that they can avoid the detection from the high-tech security systems in the casino. And despite the impossibility of their mission, these 11 specialists, they're the best in the game, they outwit and they outmaneuver everyone who stands in their way. So Ocean's Eleven is a great example, albeit an illegal example, uh, of team building. If you, have, if you have an impossible task, 
um, uh, with incredibly high stakes, then go out and conscript the best in the game to accomplish that work for you. This is, this is, this is team building at its best. This is, makes sense. Now, Ocean's Eleven is an all-star cast of criminals, uh, um, conveniently played by an all-star cast of actors, uh, and it's, it's, it was destined for success. It's a great film. Uh, Jesus Eleven, on the other hand, are a different story. Mostly fishermen, a few political rivals, and generally uneducated, ordinary people. The 11 disciples who stand on the mountain with Jesus in our text are incomplete. They're, they're, they're not experts. They're not highly trained. They're ordinary people being given a seemingly impossible mission. They're not, you know, infiltrating a, a casino. They are to, to invade the, the, the kingdom of darkness. They're not stealing money. They are ransoming people from the grip of sin and Satan and death. And you and I are here today, despite their insufficiency, you and I are here today because they were successful. The reason I take comfort in the number 11 is not just because they are insufficient or because we are insufficient, but because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in insufficient people Jesus' mission is a success. And so that's why we are here. These 11 told more people about Jesus, who told more people about Jesus, who told more people about Jesus, who told you and me. And if you haven't heard about Jesus, then we're doing this. It's literally what we're doing right now. We are taking the gospel to people. And so I take comfort in the number 11, because in a very special way, these 11 represent every church who has ever gathered throughout the history of the world. They represent us. And so God used them in their imperfection, in their 11-ness, so to speak, right? And so imagine what God could do in Carpinteria with our 11-ness, Imagine what he could do with our incompletion. Maybe you don't believe me, right? Maybe you don't believe that they were all that insufficient. Well, let's look at the text. Matthew tells us that these 11 were worshipers and doubters. Worshipers and doubters. They saw Jesus and worshiped him, but some doubted. Look, on our best day, this is us. Do we not come into this place week in and week out and worship Jesus? And among us, there are people with questions, with doubts, with concerns, with insecurities, with uncertainties. On our best day, this is who we are. And I pray this is always us. This must always be us, not because I want us to continue in our doubts, but because I pray that this will continue to be a safe place for those who have doubts and questions. If you're here today, maybe you have thought, I won't be welcomed at church, right? I'm, I, I have too many questions, or I'm too broken, or let me first get my act together, and then I will be accepted. I want to encourage you. On our best day, we're only an 11. 
We're not 12. We're not complete. And thank God for that. Because if we were, there'd be no room for any of us. If you find a perfect church and you step foot in their doors, no longer perfect. We must continue to embrace this 11-ness. I'm going to coin that phrase. Our 11-ness. Maybe someone else has. I don't know. But we need to embrace that. On our best days, every church out there is just an 11. Most days we're like, I don't know, six, maybe. Is that optimistic? And so there's room. That's nothing to be ashamed of because our confidence is not in who we are, but in who God is. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. As a church, we're not perfect. And so as a church, we are a place for imperfect people. Um, The reason you belong in the church is because we assume imperfection. We assume, to be all honest with you, I assume train wrecks of sin. That's what I assume when sinners get together. It's just like converging sin. We're bound to run into each other and make a mess. Church is messy. If you, okay, I'm going off the rails here. If you, to to continue the train analogy, um, if you are expecting a nice, safe, comfortable place to come on Sundays and be encouraged in your faith and to go out into your life and not think about it until next Sunday, I'll be perfectly honest with you. This is not the place for you. This isn't going to be the place for you. You're not going to be comfortable here on Sundays or throughout the week because we are going to continue to call us in our imperfection to look to the perfect Christ. Yes, to receive grace, but also to live in light of what he has done and reflect him to the world. There is work to be done. There's a job to do. We've got stuff to do. And so in our imperfection, we come into this place not to be told they're there, It'll be okay. But in our imperfection, to worship Jesus for what he has accomplished for sinners such as ourselves and to be invited into his mission to call other sinners to him. That's what we are here to do. And so as worshipers and doubters, we are not perfect. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. But the same invitation is given to us that was given to these 11 imperfect worshipers and doubters, and that is to be disciples. We are invited to be disciples. Now, in the original language, that word disciple, it just means learner. It's a a learner. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is learning from Jesus. And regardless of your questions and your doubts or your imperfections, the invitation to you is to become a disciple of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that in your limitations of faith, don't allow them to drive you away from Jesus. Don't allow your questions or your doubts to drive you away from Jesus. But Jesus is willing to hear them and to meet you in them, and to answer your questions, and to give you assurance and confidence by his presence. Our doubts, our questions don't drive us from God, because I'll be honest with you, every question that we get answered, 10 more open right up. And that's the beauty about our God, is I believe that we will spend an eternity 
diving into the depths of who God is and learning every day more and more of his grace, more and more of his goodness and his character. And so if there's something today that you don't understand about God, if there's something today that you don't understand about the Christian faith, don't allow the enemy to put that seed in your mind that because of that doubt, you don't belong here. No, it's very reason that, that Jesus has called you here to investigate, to learn, to understand, and to receive what he has done. Bring into the church all of your incompleteness. Bring into the church all of your elevenness. Bring into the church all of your lack and watch what Jesus will do. And as a church, we are imperfect people, incomplete and lacking, but that is good news. Because if we were complete, there wouldn't be any room for us. And yet Jesus calls us disciples. And if it weren't enough, if it weren't good enough to be invited into discipleship with Jesus, he has also called us in his mission to make more disciples. Not only calls us disciples, but he invites us and calls us to make disciples. This is the church's great mission. This is the great commission to make disciples. See, mission is not reserved for missionaries and church leaders. Every disciple is called to make disciples. Now, some will look at this text, Matthew 28, and they see Jesus say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And the command is to get out. You know Jesus now? Now leave your home, leave your hometown, leave your friends, leave your family, and now go. That's the great command. To, to, to leave, to go someplace else. But that's not how we need to understand this. See, there is a command in this text. There is a, a commissioning, and, it, and it's not go. Go is not the command grammatically in the Great Commission. Uh, the command is not baptize. The command is not teach. The command is make disciples. And so some have translated this so that a better understanding of it would be, as you are going, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Wherever you go, wherever you are, you are all missionaries called by God. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ and received the Holy Spirit, all of you are missionaries. All of you have been called on mission by God to the city of Carpinteria or wherever else you live. And you've been called here not for work, even though that may be why some of you have moved here. You are called here not for the weather, although that's probably one of the reasons that keeps you from leaving. You've not been called here for the waves. You've been called here to make disciples, to invite people who are far from God into a relationship with God. And the way we do this, the way Jesus says we should do this, is through baptizing and teaching. Jesus tells these disciples to baptize new disciples. Now, this word baptism is a technical term in the church for water baptism, but it simply means to immerse. The, the Greek word baptizo simply means to, to immerse, and it comes from the textile industries. When people would dye fabrics, they would baptize it into the dye. They would plunge or immerse the fabric into the dye, and that fabric would take into itself the, uh, the, the, the characteristics of that 
pigment. And so disciples are to be immersed into the name. They baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so someone, their water baptism is a picture of this, but it represents that we have been baptized. We have been immersed into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, somebody's name, we've talked about this before, represents their entire identity and reputation in the first century. To be known by a family name meant that you carried that family's honor or their shame wherever you went. And so it was the primary identifying factor of someone's identity. It was the the primary identity-shaping factor about them was their name and what family name they were a part of and who their father was and who their father was. And it was, and so, and so what Jesus is telling us in here is that we are to be immersed into the name and therefore to take on the character, to take on the quality of that name, of that reputation, and of that identity into ourselves. So we are not baptized in the name as if to say in honor of or even by the authority of. It's better to say that we are baptized into the name as a fabric is plunged into the dye to take into itself the characteristics and color of that dye. And so we are baptized into the name, into the identity and into the life of God. This reflects that same idea of of dyeing fabrics. And so water baptism is this picture of this immersion into the life of God. It's a picture of our identification with Jesus in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, and in his unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so that's an important side note in this, that the, the word name is singular in this text, that we are baptized into the singular name, not the names of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, but this singular name shared by Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we are baptized into the identity, into the life of the triune God, of Father, Son, and Spirit. So this is true of you if you are a Christian. You have been immersed into the life of God. This is what Colossians 3.3 means when it says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in Christ in God. Or what 2 Peter 1.4 means by saying, you may become partakers of the divine nature. The moment we believe the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus and our identity is immersed with him and all who God is. Then upon baptism, after being baptized, we spend a lifetime of learning how to follow Jesus' teachings and how to be obedient to his teachings. So we make disciples by baptizing and teaching. We we learn from him in order to live like him so that we can manifest his presence and his character to the world. And so what we'll see in our next sermon series through 1 John is that discipleship is not about learning facts about God. It's not about learning doctrines. It's not about memorizing Bible verses. It's about learning to love, 
Learning to love like Jesus loves. Learning to love one another like Jesus has loved you. And so I'm excited as a church to be going through this together. Uh, Learning from Jesus and, and learning to obey all that he has commanded us is about being equipped to challenge and challenge to step out of our comfort zones and to care for one another and to bless not only each other, not just the people in this building, but all of those around us to bless Carpinteria through gospel proclamation and demonstration of Jesus' love and self-sacrifice. This is, this is why uh, we talked about that food distribution that's here on Wednesday, our partnership with Food Bank of Santa Barbara County. It's to provide good things, a blessing of, of food to, to people in need in this community who can't otherwise provide uh, uh, fresh produce for themselves. And so in that, they receive, though it's from this building, they receive from Jesus' hand good things. We are called to serve this people and this community. And so the order of this, to make disciples by baptizing and teaching to obey all that Jesus has commanded. The order of these things is these disciple-making methods is very important because baptism is given when somebody trusts in Jesus, but we will spend a lifetime of learning how to obey all that Jesus commands. And so if you've trusted in Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, that water baptism that represents this life immersed in the life of God that you are living, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith today. As as Aaron mentioned during our announcements, we've got a baptism class coming up. You can sign up for that at the book table after church just to hear more about baptism and see if this is something that God is calling you in your life right now to take that step of faith and to be baptized. Sign up to get baptized. It's not given. Baptism is not given because you deserve it. It's not given because you've earned it or because you've got a a degree in theology or something like that. It's given by God's grace through faith because you believe. You've been made a disciple and the Holy Spirit has united you to Jesus. It's a picture not of perfection, but of your life being immersed into Christ's. And then we seek to put our life in God on display by the way that we live. Many times people will get baptized because God does this work in their life. And then they learn so much more about God and they, and they learn Uh, They've got a more understanding of what God has done for them and who God is. And so they think, gosh, I need to, like, I need to be baptized again. I didn't even, like, I didn't know uh, all that it meant back then. Um, if, If you have not been baptized, or if you have been baptized, rather, and you've learned a lot about the faith, that does not necessarily mean that your baptism didn't count. That's not, that's not what that means. Um, if we had to be baptized every time we learned something new about Jesus, we'd just leave a tank of water here in the sanctuary and like, you know, take a dip before we leave every Sunday. Um, no, that's, that's not the case. We expect that it will take a lifetime to learn how to obey and follow Jesus. But if you're here and you've, ne- and, and you've recently put your faith in Jesus or you've put your faith in Jesus for a long time, but you've never been baptized, then we want to call you to that, to take that step of faith and to be baptized. And then we seek to put our life in God on display through the way that we live. And I don't want us to miss the weight of that statement. That we are to put 
the life of God on display through the way that we live. The people around you, if you are a Christian, are to be able to look at your life and see in you the life of Jesus. These 11 disciples, as inadequate as they were, stood before the same council that handed Jesus over to be crucified. And though they were uneducated common men, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, saw them and they recognized that because of their faith, that they had been with Jesus. That's the greatest thing that could ever be said about this church. The greatest thing that could ever be said about Reality Carpinteria is that Jesus is with us, that we are in the presence of God. And so it's not your knowledge or your skill that puts Jesus on display. It's your faith and your love for others. And Jesus said that it would be our love for one another that would be evidence to the world that the Father sent the Son. That's huge. That the way you love other people is actually a testimony to the truth of the Father sending the Son to die on the cross for the sake of our sins. It's an evidence to the world that the gospel is true. That is weighty. That people in this world are supposed to be able to look at the church and say, this is what God is like. Unfortunately, I have a feeling that many people look at the church, not just us, but the church in America and say, this is what God is like. But the way that we live should be putting the character of God on display for all to see. But here's the good news. In this heavy responsibility, we are not asked to do anything for anyone else that we have not already received from Jesus. Because Jesus was the first missionary. Jesus left heaven for earth. He left his throne. He left his glories and his comforts to come to earth, to come to you and I, to embrace our brokenness, to experience our humanity. He came in the authority and the power of God. He invaded the kingdom of darkness and invited all who believe into the kingdom of heaven. He was the first missionary. And though we are imperfect in his perfection, he laid down his rights and his comforts in order to ransom an imperfect people by nailing our sin to the cross. And in dying for sin, he cleansed us of our imperfection. And then he rose from the dead and he ascends into heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit so that anyone who believes would be united to Jesus and immersed in his presence continually. The reason I find comfort in the scriptures and in our elevenness is because we are not left in our elevenness. We are given the Holy Spirit to be our completion, to be the fulfillment of the people of God in the presence of Jesus Christ in us. We have been made complete, not because we are complete, but because Jesus is with us. And the reason that we are who we are is because Jesus, by his grace, has made us the church we are. He's made us who you are, and through faith, he will use you to call others to the same grace that you have received. Jesus does not ask you of anything that he has not already abundantly provided by his love and by the power of his Holy Spirit 
in you. He has provided with us the life of God and the power of God to live in his presence. And so this is who we are. We are imperfect disciples. We are called to make disciples and we live in the power and presence of Jesus. This means that we live by walking in submission to Jesus' authority. Before we can be on mission with Jesus, we must be in submission to Jesus. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the jurisdiction of Jesus' reign. Heaven and earth. That is all of it. Heaven and earth is everything. It's the spiritual and the material realm. That means there is no place on this planet that you can ever put your foot and no creature, however ungodly it may be, in this world that you will ever encounter that is not under the authority of Jesus. Every single place, every single person, every single power and principality is under the authority of Jesus. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That means in this place, Jesus reigns. That means if you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, every place you set your foot, Jesus reigns. That means in your home, Jesus reigns. That means in your workplace, Jesus reigns. That means there is no place you can go apart from the presence and the power and the authority of Jesus. We can have confidence in our calling to go and make disciples of all nations, to go and make disciples of all of our neighbors, wherever we live, because the authority of Jesus is over the heavens and the earth. He is sovereign. The reason that we can do the work and be comforted in night, at night when we go to sleep, regardless of what happens, the reason we can do all of these things is because Jesus reigns in the church and Jesus reigns in the heavens and the earth. This is why we can do what he has called us to do. If we were to go in our own authority, we would be chewed up and spit out. We have a scene of that happening in the book of Acts. The seven sons of Sceva, they try to cast out a demon by the name of Jesus in whom Paul preaches, not the Jesus that they knew themselves, and they leave this confrontation naked and bleeding. The, 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 they, they, it, was a, it was a mess. If you go in with seven and you're all clothed, and in one piece, and you leave naked and bleeding, something terrible happened. Something bad happened. They tried to go in their own authority. They got beat up for it, right? If we go in our own authority, we're going to be chewed up. We're going to be spit out, but we don't go in our own authority. We go in the authority of Jesus. And more than that, you go in the presence of Jesus. Jesus not only commissions them by his authority, he comforts them by his presence. He said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The reason we know that we can be successful is not because we're well-trained professional ministers and theologians, but because Jesus is with us that Jesus is with you. The reason we can wake up every morning and receive these marching orders and, and go to sleep in peace regardless of the outcome is because Jesus is with us. Church, by God's grace, this is who we are. At, at, the, at, the, at the, the bare grassroots of who we are, this is who we are. We are imperfect disciples called to make disciples and live in the life, the power, and the presence of Jesus.
by God's grace, that's what we will continue to strive to be. I just have one question for you. Are you in? Are you in? This is what he calls us to. This is what he's invited us to. It's a beautiful, weighty responsibility. But if you are here, you are called a disciple of Jesus, whether it is in this church or any other gospel-preaching church across the city or across the globe, this is what he calls us to. And there's freedom in that. And so for some of you, this may mean putting your faith in Jesus for the first time. For some of you, it may mean taking that step of faith to be baptized, to publicly declare your faith in Jesus. Maybe some of you have been harboring sin that does not align with living in obedience to all of the commands of Jesus. And so Jesus invites us to repent of it today. For many of you, it will mean saying yes to God's mission in the world, whether sending us to our neighbors or to our nations. He has called you into mission. He has sent you with all authority, and he goes with you and will never leave you. And so whatever that means for you today, know for certain that this is who you are and this is who you've been called to be. We can, we can kind of hang in the shadows of church. And certainly there's a place for that as you're, as, you're, as you're discerning God's call on your life to commit to, to be a participant in a particular church. There's, there's room for that. But eventually, if we're going to follow Jesus, this is what he calls us to. And so whatever it means for you today, this is who you are. This is God, who God has made you through faith. And by the grace of God, though imperfect, though, uh, though imperfect, we're called to be disciples. By his grace, we are immersed into the life of God. We are on mission with Jesus. And we do all of this in the power and presence of Christ by his Holy Spirit. And so in light of that, whatever that response requires of you today, we're going to transition into a time of, of worship. We're going to transition into a time where we get to praise God for what he's done, but we need to do business with the Lord today too and discern, God, what are you calling me to? What does this mean for me today? Because no matter who you are, no matter how long you have been following Jesus, if the decision you have made in the past or now is to follow Jesus, something is required of you today. Something is required either to trust in him, to, to, to receive him as Savior, as Lord, to be baptized, to make that decision to be baptized, to repent, to, to be on mission, whatever that is. Something is required of all of us. We can't just come in here and sit and receive and go and forget. Like I said, it's not the church for you. It's not the church that we're going to be. It's not the church that God has made us. But before we go and do anything for him, we're simply going to receive and worship him for what he has done for us. So let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful for the work that you have done for us. Thank you that you were on mission. Lord, that you invaded the kingdom of darkness and you ransomed souls into the kingdom of God. 
Lord, thank you that we get to participate not only in, uh, not only receive what you have done for us, but Lord, we get to participate in what you want to do in this world. That's a great honor. It's a great privilege. It's a great responsibility. Lord, and so we pray that by your spirit, you would empower us, Lord, to, to simply say yes. To simply say yes to what you're doing in the world, what you're doing in Carpinteria, what you're doing in us. Lord, we say yes to you. Whatever you desire for us, Lord, we say yes and amen. And so be exalted in this place, Lord. As we've been talking about, the best thing we have going for us is your presence. The best thing that can be ever be said of Reality Carpinteria is that you are here. And so, Lord, we want to delight in that. We want to rejoice in that. Thank you for being with us and for teaching us. And we pray that you would be glorified in all that we continue to say and do. In Jesus' name.